Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Welcome to Twilight, a literary deep dive into the blood-sucking skin, sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader. Join us as we try to answer the question, Does does it it suck? suck? Uh, Does it? Hey, I'm Jess. I'm tired, and that's Spencer. Yeah, we're we're f- a little flippity flop from last week. We're recording very late at night. Yeah, we like to mix it up this like summer. Like to mix it up. Yeah, we um just this way the week went went. Uh, we had to record after I got off work, which I work evening. So, and then fun thing, just had uh, what we uh, medically speaking call a shit show at work. And so, um, you know, just had a lot of emergency situations, so I got home even later than usual. So, you know, it's fun. I'm stressed. I took a shot of very bad rum. And, and we're glad to be here. But we're glad to be here. And, you know, let's, enough about us, enough about our exciting lives. Let's get into the even more Twilight. exciting lives. Actually, Breaking Dawn. Breaking Dawn, book one, chapters six and seven. All right. So let's get started with that chapter summary, Spencer. Chapter seven, you got it. Six. I didn't do a review for six. I didn't do a summary. It's right there. Wow. Oh, man, I must have been distracted. That's right, because this chapter is called Distractions. See what I did there? (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) In an effort to temper Bella's more lustful urges, Edward begins filling their days with nonstop activities around the island, snorkeling, hiking, exotic bird spotting, essentially all the things you can do on a secluded island besides have sex. Bella would be left so exhausted by the end of most days that she could barely stay awake long enough to finish her dinner, let alone finish off Edward. This didn't stop Bella from trying to seduce her undead husband, though, don't you worry. (laughs) Donning a lacy black piece Alice bought her, Bella climbs into bed with Edward. His eyes widen for a moment before forcibly returning to a neutral expression. But Bella isn't deterred. She still has one ace up her sleeve. Casually, she mentions that, oh, maybe perhaps a semester or two at Dartmouth. Well, that wouldn't be such a bad idea. And, well, in fact, she muses... Maybe she could put off her transformation for a while. Edward instantly sees through Bella's paper-fin facade as he tells her that he won't make any deals that would compromise her safety. I just realized I should have wrote lingerie-thin facade. Oh, that's funny. Everyone who's listening, I know we could edit it to sound like I said it, but I'm just going to tell everyone listening to just think that I said it. Good. With any talk of sex thoroughly shut down, Bella lays down to sleep. Offhandedly, she mentions the reoccurring nightmares she's been having. She tells Edward about the Volturi, but leaves out the frightening little boy not wanting to upset him. Edward, not the boy. Boy's already upset. (laughs) Later that night, she wakes from a different but equally vivid dream. 
Still disoriented by the dark room, she desperately grabs hold of Edward. It wasn't a nightmare this time. It was a good dream. Real Real good. good. She tries to describe it to him, but the words won't come. Neither will she. (laughs) Tears streaming down her face, she throws her arm around Edward's neck and begs him to make her dream real. Edward resists at first, but her desperate, almost crazed pleas break his resolve. A moment later, they began where the dream had left off. It was a sex dream, if it wasn't clear. I mean, uh, yes. Ah. All you gotta do is sob like a little baby. Uh, please. And he'll give it up to give you. Give me that. Um, as it is for most people, the second attempt was much better than the first. Mine included. Oh, yeah, because your second year teaching, you no, were a lot I more No, I meant the second time that I ever had sex was way better than the first time. Bella was completely unharmed, though the same couldn't be said for her nightgown or the bed frame. Wowee. What a <laughs> night. Edward playfully tells Bella she's in deep trouble for the stunt she pulled, but his glowing demeanor suggests that she'll be forgiven. That rascal. They're playful. They're playful. They're having fun. Bella goes to the kitchen to fry up some eggs, prompting Edward to point to the pile of empty egg cartons they had already gone through. Uh, There's been a, you know, Jess, I've noticed there's been a lot of egg talk uh, in these few chapters. I wonder if that could possibly be a symbol for something. Fertility? No, that's dumb. What a dumb thing to say. Oh. You're dumb for saying that. Edward also tells her that she can drop the whole Dartmouth thing. He won't be holding her to her earlier promise. He he knows it was just for sex. But surprising even herself, Bella finds that she actually thinks she might want a little more time as a human. I hope nothing ruins that plan. Oh, oh no. What what could possibly do that? Bella asks if they can stay in that day to watch a movie. So while she goes to pick one out, Edward goes to greet the cleaning staff that have just arrived. Ugh. One of the workers, a tiny middle-aged woman named Cor, looks at Bella with a strange sense of horror. She frantically yells at Edward in a flurry of words Bella can't understand, but he's eventually able to send her and the other cleaner off to work on the chicken coops. (laughs) Meaning the bed, because there's all the feathers. Oh, is that what it meant? I, I included it because I wanted to be like, they have chicken coops on this island, but I guess... I'm just understanding that joke. Because, there, yeah, there's a bunch of feathers everywhere. That makes way more sense. I was like, why is there a chicken coop? <laughs> why is Edward so upset about the amount of eggs if they have chickens? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the one who's supposed to, like, really analyze these chapters. <laughs> Edward explains that Cora is part Takuna Indian and seems to understand that there's something more to Edward. One of the tribe's legend was about a creature known as a Libishoman a blood-drinking demon known to prey exclusively on beautiful women, which would explain the woman's terrified reaction to seeing Bella. Once the cleaners had left, Edward takes Bella back into the blue room to use what remained of the headboard. Hot. Chapter 7. Ah! Unexpected. Bet you didn't expect that. I didn't. It startled me. Did you hate it? Yes. Awesome. Bella again dreams of the small boy in the Voltori. A line of black cloak figures slowly close in on her as a small voice behind her quietly whimpers. The dark figures spread out, surrounding them on all sides. They were about to die. But then, a burst of light flashes and the scene suddenly becomes entirely different. Everything looked the same, 
but Bella no longer feared these attackers. Now she was hungry for it. She wanted them to attack. She wanted... <laughs> she wanted a bitch to try it. Forgot I wrote that. <laughs> she crouches forward and a growl erupts from her smiling mouth. Bella jolts awake. She's back in her bed. Oh, no. Still growling. The room was dark and hotter than usual. Bella gropes the sheets next to her but finds that they're empty. Bella flips on the light switch and finds a note left where Edward had been. Edward had gone to the mainland to hunt but would be back by sunrise. Bella wasn't too surprised. They'd been on the island for like two weeks and he had to eat at some point. Not wanting to risk another nightmare, Bella goes to the kitchen to start her day with a nutritious breakfast of fried chicken. Nice. Sizzling the meat was so tempting. Bella started eating it straight out of the pan. <laughs> Which you shouldn't do with chicken. Just a weird move, Bella. But a few bites in, she realizes that something is off. I'm eating it out of this boiling oil <laughs> pan. Yeah. She checks and sees that the meat is fully cooked, but still, something wasn't right. The once delicious smell of chicken and oil was now revolting, and Bella tosses the whole thing in the trash. Good thing they have a whole chicken coop. They just grab another. <laughs> Bella, now suddenly exhausted again, lays down on the couch and quickly falls asleep. She wakes up again midday to Edward's cool hands. Immediately, a twist in her stomach sends Bella running to the bathroom. Once she's expelled everything she can from her stomach, Bella tells Edward about the rancid chicken. Edward is skeptical of her conclusions and suggests that maybe she should go see a doctor, but... Bella, of course, refuses. She instead asks Edward to make her some eggs, hmm, hmm, as she looks through her luggage for some good old Pepto-Biz. In her search, she comes across a small blue box that makes her stop in her tracks. Suddenly unable to think of anything else, Bella stares at the box while silently counting in her head. A knock at the door jolts her back into reality. Bella Up asks... Up goes gravity. <laughs> Bella asks how long it had been since their wedding, and he responds that it had been 17 days. Bella counts silently to herself again. One ovulation, two and, ovulations. Until finally she says that her period was five days late. Edward was completely silent, his face frozen in the last expression it made, making him look even more statue-like than usual. Bella goes over all the strange symptoms she's been having, the vivid dreams, sleeping more than usual, always feeling hungry but unable to stomach certain foods. Bella runs into the bathroom and looks at herself in the mirror. She wasn't an expert on babies by any means, but she knew this wasn't how it was supposed to work. Even if she was pregnant, it was way too soon to be having the morning sickness or change her eating and sleeping habits. And she definitely shouldn't have a small bump stinking out from between her hips. That one line is more terrifying than any Stephen King novel. Oh, I bet. I, I was oh, like, God. oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's growing. Bella examines herself from a various different angles, hoping to find that the bump was simply some trick of the lighting. Nope. Nope. It's not. Meanwhile, Edward remained motionless in the other room with no sign of ever moving again, which would be my exact response to the situation. <laughs> I would just completely go comatose instantly. <laughs> Bella recalls the research she had done after Jacob told her about the legends of the cult ones. She mentally combed through the many pages of vampires A to Z, to A to Z for our uh, foreign listeners. You're welcome. <laughs> 
hashtag inclusion, to see if there was anything about vampires impregnating humans, but most of the stories seemed like little more than excuses people dreamed up to explain their infidelity. Mm. Bella knew from Esme and Rosalie that vampire women definitely couldn't become pregnant because their bodies weren't able to change and human bodies kind of have to change in order to bear children. But Bella's body could definitely still change and once they had reached puberty, human men stayed pretty much the same the rest of their lives. Uh, noting that... Um, Charlie Chaplin had his last child at, what is it, 70? Something ridiculous Way like too old. Yeah. Bella had never heard any mention of male vampires impregnating women, but then again, how many of them had the restraint or inclination to even try it? Well, she could only think of one. Bella's body felt as frozen as Edward's looked. She slowly placed a hand over the mysterious bump as she thought of her dream. The strange way it abruptly changed, and she suddenly became a vampire herself. Then she felt something that changed everything. A small nudge against her hand from the inside of her body. Truly horrifying. In that same instant, Edward's phone rang. At first, neither of them reacted, but finally Bella brought herself to go answer. From the other end came a frantic Alice, asking if they were okay. Bella said yes, they were, but she couldn't get Alice to tell her what she had seen. Carlisle then comes on the line and Bella tells him what she is now certain of. She was pregurganat. She's it. She preggers. She got a little baby. Ew. A little monster growing inside of her. Yes, she do. Yes, she do. After a long pause, Carlisle switches into doctor mode, establishing a timeline of her menstrual cycle and getting a general feel of her current symptoms. Bell explains the unusual way she'd been feeling the last few days, concluding with the movement that she had just felt from her abdomen. At this, Edward's head quickly snaps up. He gets on the phone with Carlisle and asks if this was possible. He listens silently to an answer that we don't get to hear and immediately moves to get them ready to return home. In a furious blur, Edward moves to the house simultaneously packing while on the phone with various airlines. Bella sits down, wondering why he seems so angry at the situation. She then realizes that, well, he must be worried about the baby and wants Carlisle to check on it as soon as possible. That, that's definitely it, Bella. That's definitely, definitely it. Definitely it. A specific... That's why he reacted that way. He's just worried about the baby <laughs> that he definitely wants. A specific image was repeatedly flashing in Bella's mind. Her brain was stuck marveling over the image of a tiny child with Edward's eyes, green like they had been when he was human, lying beautiful in her arms. Bella was shocked by how quickly the image had become inevitable in her mind. Already she felt her heart divide into two, not split in half, but replicated equally. Her love had already grown to accommodate another thing she could no longer live without. It wasn't until this moment that she fully understood Rosalie's pain. And man, we thought she resented Bella before. Well. She's gonna be pissed. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Bella places her hand over her stomach, waiting for the next nudge to come. Ugh. Sorry. It's okay. We don't I, like babies. We, yeah, we should not. We should. Maybe we should tone down our... <laughs> frank disgust of children uh for our audience edward suddenly rushes over asking if bella's hurt she hadn't noticed the many tears streaming down her cheeks 
Edward assures her that she's going to be just fine. In, in just a few hours, Carlisle will take care of it. Bella asks what he means. Well, we're going to get that thing out before it can hurt any part of you. I won't let it hurt you. Bella gasps. That thing? Before Edward can respond, he turns to the door. In all the excitement, he'd forgotten the cleaners were due back today. Edward exits the room, leaving Bella to reconcile his image of the child with her own. He wasn't worried about the baby at all. All he saw was a threat to Bella's life. I mean, because it is. But, I mean, in his defense, this is, like, not supposed to be happening. Right. There is no precedent for any of this. This is just... My first thought would be, like, oh, we created a literal, like, affront to God. So we probably need to get rid of that. <laughs> like, I know it turns out different, but, like, that would be my first uh, first thought is, like, oh, this is not going to be okay. From the other room, Bella hears Edward arguing in Portuguese. Mamma mia. That's not. Hmm? That's English. No. <laughs> but I use the hand gesture. A moment later, he comes into the kitchen with Cora. Uh, Steffi M, if you're listening, terrible name choice. I, I, I think it's Cora. Cora. Uh, close behind. Edward explains that she insisted on leaving the food she brought in. This was clearly an excuse to make sure Bella was still alive, but Bella was grateful. She wished she could speak Portuguese so she could thank this woman for facing the wrath of a vampire just to make sure she was okay. Unfortunately, the dish consisted primarily of fish and onion, which sent Bella gagging over to the sink. Edward comforts her, and Bella turns to rest her head on his shoulder, her hands instinctively folding over her stomach. A shocked gasp comes from across the kitchen. The two turn to find Cora staring, horrified, at Bella's hands. Edward protectively moves Bella behind him as the tiny woman rushes up to him, fist shaking, spewing an unending string of angry Portuguese. Edward's sharp tone switches to something sounding almost like pleading. The two are silent for a moment as Edward steps aside and gestures the woman towards Bella. She slowly steps forward, occasionally asking Edward brief questions. Finally, when she was close enough to lay her small hands on top of Bella's, she spoke a single word. Morte. And I don't, I don't speak Portuguese, but that doesn't sound good. Uh, it means death. Uh, well, I did a little research. It means death uh, in Portuguese. Or it could be a reference to the Morte River, which is in the south part of France. Which I think also means death. Well, that's just too bad. She then stands up straight and silently walks out the house. As Edward and Bella get set to leave, Bella asks Edward to pack some food for the trip. While he goes into the other room, presumably making some sort of egg dish, (laughs) Bella quickly takes Edward's phone and selects a number. A moment later, a voice answers. Rosalie, it's Bella. Please, you have to help me. Oh, shit. Oh, the last person who wants to help you right now. Really? I don't know. I'd be pissed if I was Rosie. I'm like, you're choosing to be a vampire and you're pregnant? You're about to have a child? My one dream? The one thing I want? I mean, she can live vicariously through her. No, she won't. 
we'll we'll see. Well, that is it for a recap of this week's chapters. So now let's go ahead and discuss our personal proclivities. Spencer, what was your favorite moment? Was probably Bella slowly discovering she's pregnant, but only if you viewed it through the lens of being a horror story. I mean, this is a vampire story. Yeah, right? so that's truly terrifying. That is very truly evocative. Um, yeah. But for me, it was whenever she calls Rosalie. Yeah, as much as I joked, it, it is like a great moment. Yeah. Beautifully set up by Meyer. You don't expect it. Yeah, really good. You're like, oh. I kind of saw it coming, but only like right before I was like, oh, I bet she's going to call Rosalie. But it, but it worked because it was set up, and it was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I love it. I loved it. Uh, favorite line? Mine. Um have it here i just kind of liked it it's whenever she's talking about her how her dream changed it says the mm. panic changed to bloodlust as i crouched forward a smile on my face and a growl ripped through my bared teeth yeah it's a great moment mm-hmm. what's yours uh it was um i wish i could speak portuguese or that my spanish wasn't so rudimentary so that i could try to thank this woman who had dared to anger a vampire just to check on me it's so sweet. Yeah, it was great. I love Kara. Kara. She's a sweet little character. She uh, is. She's just like, definitely knows Edward's a vampire. I just right. imagine they're, like, you know, the equivalent of the Quilly is kind of what they're setting up Yeah, here. like they're native people from that area. And they have, and I imagine most people have like some kind of legend of vampires, mm-hmm. you know, and native people have, a, you know, they don't call them vampires. They have their own stories or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, and she's like, this guy's definitely a vampire. And it's like, oh, he's got some chick locked up with him. And then it's like, what? He got her pregnant? They can do that? I mean, but it's. You're going like, to die. Yeah, I know. It's like. And then she basically just walks up to Belle. It's like, uh, you're dead. You're dead. Bye. Bye. Or is that what she meant? Maybe I have a theory about that. Okay, well, now that we've established our faith. Babe, wait, hold on. Before that, we got to take a break. Oh. We'll be right back. Bye, y'all. Hey, fuckers. And we're back. Okay, so we've established our faves. Yeah. Let's go ahead and take a leisurely walk down our local manhole. Make sure you guys bring your lanterns as we explore the lore. So, Spencer, what have we learned this week? Okay, so what have we learned, you know? Well, you don't, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, So, among the many activities Edward plans, the book also mentions swimming with porpoises. So, uh, me being myself, I had to figure out what species that was. (laughs) Uh, So, this is more of a thing I learned than uh, anything. But uh, the only porpoise species that I could find local to that region was called a uh, Burmeister's porpoise. Nice. Uh, they're small, like, gray species of porpoise, uh, only about five feet long and weighing about, you know, 100, 115 pounds. Okay. That... Uh, yeah, I brought one to 15. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Nope. Uh, but they are native to the coasts of South America all across on both sides. Uh, and they were first discovered by Herman Burmeister, for whom the species is obviously named. Mm. But little is really known about them. Locally, they're referred to as a thorny porpoise, which is a great name. Yeah. Uh, not so great name, sea pig. I actually love that. It's kind of fun. Uh, but they don't really look it to me. They don't look sea piggy, but whatever. Uh, since their population size isn't well known, their conservation status is just set at a kind of uh, generic near threatened. Okay. Be- because being a marine mammal, uh, you know, they're probably not doing great. Right. Most uh, aren't. Yeah. 
But uh, that's just a little thing. I uh, love that. I, I do like, love porpoises. Yeah, just because, especially because you said specifically porpoises, and I was like, well, I gotta look into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but more into uh, more of the story of Twilight. The Colons own a, own a home in Dartmouth, and probably many other places around the world, just so we they could just pop up and move. Uh, yeah, over. I mean, real estate's a good, uh, investment. good investment. Yeah, and you know they could use the money. Uh, Kat, Cora. Is from the Tukuna Indian tribe. Did I say that right? Yeah, Tukuna. Tukuna Indian tribe, who, like the Quileutes, have legends of blood sucking creatures, like we mentioned before. Their monsters are known as the. Uh, Libby Showman. Libby Showman. Yeah, you know, that's, really, that's really all we know about it, but uh, we kind of already talked about it, but it's cool. Cool it little cool. world building moment. I, I like, like that. that. And it's just nice to have another character reacting to what's happening. But uh, uh, male vampires can, in fact, at least as I am understanding how pregnancy work can produce vi- uh, uh, viable sperm. I'm going to talk about that in my piece. Are you really? I am. Oh my God, it's happening. No way. We'll get to it. Oh, I'm going to get the answers I've long. Oh my God. Can we skip my part? No. Ah, who cares anymore? Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, are you really talking vampire sperm? I am. Oh my God, I'm fine. I've been asking this question <laughs> for so long. Oh, my God. I don't even know where I'm at. Okay. Uh, so, who cares anymore? But we get a callback to the first book and the uh, famous website, Vampires A to Z. Oh, so, yeah. I went and reread that section and just, just to see if there's any kind of ties to it. You know. Okay, It's just yeah. cool getting that reference back. So, I like that, yeah. Um, the website mentions the Italian legend of the Stringoni Benefici, a vampire who's said to be one of the good... On the side, want the lone vampire on the side of good and enemy to all other evil vampires. And Edward repeats this and confirms that this is about Carlisle. Oh, but it's cool. yeah, because he was among the, the Volturi. The, yeah. But he was the one that didn't eat humans. Yeah. And um, it was just cool because rereading that, I was like, she, Meyer did put that in word for word. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the first stories she reads about is the uh, Filipino vampire known as the uh, Denang, I believe. Denang? Mm-hmm. Denang? Uh, but the legend goes that this vampire actually worked alongside humans for many years until a woman cut her finger and he was unable to stop himself from killing her. Wow. Now, to me, I don't know what you're thinking of, baby. That sounds an awful like, awful lot like a uh, party incident that we... That happened in uh, book two? Yeah. Maybe? So I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. That's... I'm glad you looked that up. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's... That dings a little bell. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that. Uh, and now what to come, my predictions. Ooh, okay. What do you think is going to happen? So when... Uh, Ka- Cora? Ka- Cora. When Cora uh, wasn't... Cora wasn't telling Bella that the her or the baby were going to die. Instead, she was saying that the baby is already dead. Oh, AKA, you semantics. I think he was saying it is of the dead. A oh, vampire. There's a language barrier. It could very well mean. I think that's what she was going for the there. The undead. And I think because obviously, I mean, I already know the baby's going to be a vampire. Uh, I just knew that coming into the series. But I definitely think that is the clue into it being like dead. Mm-hmm. Undead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, Bella, I believe. So I actually had to text you this. I was in the middle of the chapter six, and this <laughs> idea came to me, and I just had to lock it in. So I texted Jess. I took a picture of the note I wrote on the page in the book to confirm <laughs> that I had just gotten to that point. I was like, I'm locking in this prediction right now. 
just in case I was worried it was going to get like confirmed answered, or like, yeah answered within the the two chapters. Uh, so, uh, but I believe Bella will be forced to become a vampire because the baby will kill her if she doesn't, which is kind of foreshadowed or set up by Bella thinking she might want to be a human. But you know, ironic twist. Oh, she can't now. She has to become a vampire right now. You know. I'm glad that you got really excited about that one. I yeah, think, I think I was like, oh. Uh, and I'm excited to see how it turns out for you. Yeah, because clearly the baby's growing at an abnormal rate. And right. I think it's going to like just like blow her up. If okay. she doesn't like get strong enough. I don't know. Got something you. like that. Like that episode of Spongebob with the pies. <laughs> the pies? The bomb pies? Oh, yes. I, w- <laughs> I was thinking of the Squidward when he eats all the, the oh, burgers, the Krabby well. Patties, and yeah. it all goes to his thighs. <laughs> We should just do all podcasts on Spongebob. Don't tempt me. Bah. That's my terrible Spongebob impression. Anyways, let's go down to our boating school. Hello. And drive up on the underwater road to pretension. Okay, I like that segue, babe. Road to pretension is do water, but, you know, Spongebob. We Here got we go. there. We got, we got there. there. All right, it's time we take a journey down the road to pretension as we take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to this week's chapters. So get out your bug spray because today we'll be taking a deep look at The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. I've never read this or really heard of it, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's very famous, but uh, let's, yeah, let's just get into it. I actually learned the other day when I was, it's like a three-hour audiobook, so I just listened oh. to it all that day. It helped a ton with writing this, so it was Hell great. yeah. It worked out. But anyways, first published in 1950 amidst the ruin of World War One, The Metamorphosis is the story of Gregor Samsa, a successful traveling salesman who wakes up one morning to find that he is miraculously transformed into a cockroach. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Well, so just... Quick sidebar, whether he turns into a cockroach or some kind of generic or different insect creature, still up for debate because the translation is a little vague. Oh. Basically calls him like a... A, a beetle bug Well, thing. it calls him like a, a like a, a vermin, but he's described as like having like an uh, exterior shell and like creepy crawly legs and stuff. Oh. It's a bit generally just accepted as a bug, but uh, a little... Uh, for So for simplicity's sake... I'll be referring to him as a cockroach from here on out. But a little fun fact, a uh, fellow prolific author and friend of Kafka, Vladimir Nabokov of Lolita fame, which Mm. I may be using uh, coming soon. Okay. Uh, Just thinking about what I believe is going to happen in the story. uh, (laughs) But Nabokov was adamant for some reason that the creature was in fact a beetle. Okay. Because it's a whole metaphor thing, but he thought it was a beetle. But anyways, so... In this state, Gregor is unable to speak or communicate with his family in any verbal way, but his brain is otherwise the same, leaving him fully aware of the horror which has befallen him. That's a fucking nightmare. Oh, it gets worse. Gregor assumes the transformation will be temporary. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why you make any assumptions about the scenario. It's clearly unprecedented, but... But as time goes on, his family is left to find a way to cope with the strange new world they have found themselves in. Gregory's work as a salesman was profitable enough to support both of his parents and his 17-year-old sister, but after an ill-fated house call from his manager, he is left with no way to provide for his family, forcing his retired father to return to work as a server and his sister to abandon her dreams of attending a music conservatory to take a job as a salesgirl. 
At first, his sister is sympathetic to Gregor's plight, cleaning his room and providing various forms of rotting food to figure out what he would enjoy best. But as the family's financial and emotional state worsens, she becomes resentful, no longer bothering to clean his room or make any attempt at communication. His room soon becomes a storage room for things that they can no longer fit around their house, mm. essentially sweeping them to the side. Eventually, the family is forced to take in tenants to make rent. And one night after dinner, Gregor's sister plays violin for her family and their new tenants, who are all assholes. They are terrible people, but we won't get into it. <laughs> They're just huge dickheads. Uh, having gone months with almost no hum- contact with his family, the lonely and desperate Gregor is drawn to the sound of the music, which causes him to be spotted by one of the unsuspecting tenants. The outraged tenants tell the family that they will be leaving without paying for any part of their stay and threaten to sue the family if they so choose. Gregor's sister is finally pushed over the edge and she tells her parents that they must get rid of it or it will be their ruin. Gregor, seeing the pain he has inflicted on his family, quietly returns to his room and silently dies that night in his sleep. The next morning, Gregor's body is thrown out by the maid, and the family takes a stroll together, discussing the prosperous future that lies ahead before them. Damn. Goddamn German books are very German. That's fucked. That is a German story, man. That is a fairy tale. (laughs) So Kafka's work evokes a very specific kind of horror from its audience. So specific that it has its own name, Kafka-esque, which if any of you have heard anything about Franz Kafka, it's probably someone referring to something as Kafka-esque, which uh, the feeling at least has how I understand it, how it affects me, comes from a combination of omnipotent existential dread mashed with a surreal personal body horror. The true terror of Gregor's transformation isn't just that he was turned into a cockroach, but it happened for no reason at all. Gregor wasn't bad enough to deserve some kind of karmic retribution, nor was he good enough to evoke some kind of strange, ironic twist of fate. He was just a normal, perfectly average salesman who one morning wakes up to find that his body will never be the same again. Damn. Something I'm sure the many mangled veterans of World War I could relate to. That's a powerful metaphor. It truly is. You know, I bet it really bugged him. Well, now that I've ruined all our goodwill. (laughs) (laughs) So in this week's chapters, we see Bella go through her own unexpected transformation. I'm just realizing, like, how much... The idea of children disgust me that my first thought was like this like German horror oh, yeah, story of dread. <laughs> my first response to like, what do I compare Bella's pregnancy to? <laughs> this terrible nightmare <laughs> scenario. Somebody being turned against their will. <laughs> I'm just realizing like, boy, we are really against that concept. <laughs> I never questioned it. I was like, this is a clear A to B. <laughs> so we see bella go through her own unexpected transformation and while we do to at least some extent know the cause of bella's pregnancy the revelation was truly a bombshell dropped right in the middle of their idyllic honeymoon a time that was supposed to be the consummation of bella and edward's love now is entirely focused on solving this unexpected problem Bella goes from being a newlywed to a patient to being defined by the thing growing inside her. 
Like Gregor, she has become ensnared in her own body by something beyond her control. The true dread comes not only from the change, but from the feeling of helplessness that comes with it. Now, both stories play up the impact of their supernatural transformations by juxtaposing them against the background of mundanity, but interestingly in inverse ways. In The Metamorphosis, the reaction to Gregor's transformation is strangely casual and pragmatic. German, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cause or the meaning behind Gregor's transformation is hardly ever, and I don't really think at all, discussed. No one really ponders what no one at any point like tries to figure out why this is happening right uh it's that the most of the story revolves around the most mundane thing in the world personal finance love it interesting focusing so much on the practical implications of someone randomly turned into a cockroach adds to the surreal feeling that permeates the book and once again, is an incredibly German take on this situation. <laughs> but what of our finances? <laughs> Seriously, there, there's like three, it's a three hour audiobook. So it's a short book. And like, there's an extended portion just going into like how the, the dad had like put aside little bits of Gregor's like uh, allowance that they gave him because he was worried about a situation in case Gregor couldn't work. And I'm like, he's a cockroach. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> Can we get to the cockroach? Damn. Uh, a really sweet part, though, is, like, they're talking, like, a day in, like, Gregor's life. He's, like, learning to do it. He's, like, I, I did, like, one thing where if I, s- I just stood on the ceiling and I could just hang there. I very much enjoyed that because it was very different than standing on the ground. <laughs> I was, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, if I were a giant cockroach. I guess I would stand on the ceiling, too. <laughs> and I guess that would be different standing on the ground (laughs) it's an interesting read uh but on the flip side lost my voice there on the flip side one of the most astonishing supernatural events in the twilight saga comes at one of the arguably most normal times at least since the introduction of the colons yeah after fighting werewolves an army of newborn vampires and a secret evil vampire vatican a honeymoon seems incredibly mundane in comparison even if it is on a private island. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's whatever. Don't ruin my <laughs> metaphor, babe. Don't ruin my argument. I guess it's not a metaphor. Anyways, in the grand scheme of the story, Bella becoming pregnant with what appears to be a fetal vampire isn't that crazy, you know, compared to other stories. So Meyer increases the impact by placing this revelation after seven chapters of wedding planning, honeymoons, and discussion of college plans. Just as Bella's life begins to feel normal, the most unexpected thing happens. But like a good author, Meyer is going to make us wait. Mm -hmm. As for the first time, we're going to leave Bella's story for for an extended period of time as we move on to book two. Jacob, I called it. You called it. I fucking called it. But I can't wait. I'm so excited. But babe, who gives a shit about that? Tell us about vampire jizz. All right, boys. Strap in. Finally going to answer some questions that we've all had for a while, and that is vampiric seminal fluid. I guess I, we already have an explicit warning at the top of the show, but just like maybe one for my parents. I'm going to talk about <laughs> some anatomy today. Also, just I, just real quick, I want I can't stress how long I've been asking this question. I Not know. just Twilight. I've been asking about you true blood. every single vampire. I, that's always a like, but do they come? So... I'm going to answer some questions here. I'm not. I'm going to stop. Okay. 
did a little research, as one does, and I came across a question on Stephanie Meyer's website. Someone asked Meyer on her website. This is great. It was on her FAQs. The question is, quote, vampires and pregnancy. When did the idea occur to you? How does it work? End quote. So I'm going to go ahead and explain her answer to you all. So the first question, when the idea occurred to her, she said the idea actually came to her pretty early on, back when she was writing Chapter 7 of Twilight. And that's when Twilight, that's when Bella is doing her research oh, on vampires, which you mentioned go. today. There you go. Um, she stealthily kept the entire information from the books. So she, she did drop in that, you know, uh, well, women couldn't get pregnant. Right. Right. But she said nothing about the men's being able to. She made sure that in in the book, uh, you know that vampire women cannot bear children. But with a human woman, a vampire male can have children. So that begs the question, how the hell does it work? So to answer this, I had to do a little bit of explaining about how vampire bodies work in general. This is all canon, right? So this is what Stephanie Meyer is saying. Uh, Do keep in mind, though, that this is fiction that I'm talking about. So it doesn't entirely need to make complete sense as it is with uh, fantasy and sci-fi stories. So vampires have Are they shaped like little bats, the sperm? No. Ah. Vampires have many differences and similarities to humans. For example, their skin like sparkles, right? But in the shade or outside of the sun, it looks quite similar to humans. So, But one difference between our skin, though, is that the cells that make up vampire skin are not pliable like our cells. Thank you, TB12. Theirs are very hard and shielding like for them Mm -hmm. Uh, so they do have a fluid similar to venom that runs between their cells interstitial fluid if you will Mm -hmm. uh, that allow for like movement of their body okay so a fluid similar to venom also coats their eyes allowing for easier movement though vampires still can't produce tears but these types of venom like fluids won't change a human into a vampire though only saliva venom can do that These other venom-like fluids won't. In a vampire's body, there are these fluids that are venom-like, and they all do very similar functions to the fluids that you find in humans. So I quote Stephanie Meyer here when I say, The normal reactions of arousal are still present in vampires, made possible by venom-related fluids that can cause tissues to react similarly as they do to an influx of blood. End quote. That is to say, the a vampire penis can get hard. Yes. I also take that to mean that uh, the, like the vampire clitoris also like swells when aroused yeah. and is wet with arousal as well. Like the women are. That's what I'm assuming. I, I, I mean, that's what it seems. It seems like the venom is replacing like all their interstitial fluids. There's you know, their exactly. synovial fluids, you know, all their stuff, all their joint fluids, all of that. Exactly. So that being said. Stephanie tells us that seminal fluid does exist in vampires and that it is venom-like, but it will not turn a human if it's introduced to their system. Right. And it's not blood either. It's like a venom. Right. That carries their DNA. So I hope this answers some of the questions that you've Uh, been having. I am so... 
I am so happy right now. I'm glad that you are. Oh man, I'm so stoked. We got an answer. It's very interesting. I like I like her uh, her her explanation of it all. Yeah. They kind of produce their own because they don't need certain things because like they don't need like a pericardial fluid which is fluid in your heart because your heart doesn't beat exactly and you know s- stomach acid and stuff like that because they don't digest really right or, but, you know. but but but, but they like have but they, certain other fluids but what that... they do need they it is just replaced by this kind of venom stuff mm-hmm. right very Whereas interesting which only... i imagine is what also provides like uh, uh oxygen or whatever replaces blood in them too i guess i don't know well they have I don't really. They, who knows? It's like we don't need to get too neat, but I like her explanation. I like it too. Obviously, it doesn't hold up because it's not real. It's so, but, uh, yeah, it's but fiction. I do. But... I find it interesting. So they even like make their own like gametes, basically their own yes. seminal fluid, their own gamete venom things. Right. Which I know you said it weren't, but I'm kind of imagining they're shaped like little bats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's just headcanon for me. <laughs> that's so cool. It's yeah. very interesting. Oh, that's the best segment you've ever done. Thank you. That's it, guys. Seminal, That's it for me. Seminal fluid, a seminal piece of work. <laughs> Thank you, baby. That was good. <laughs> well, that's it from us. Next week, we're coming at you with Jacob's part of the book. Yeah, we're starting to so be ready. Um, Which I'm very interested in because it's going to be very different what I was thinking it might be if it was Jacob. Because I, mean, just I didn't look think... at the, the t- titles of the chapters. Oh, I haven't yet. They're way different. Oh, I bet. They're like, uh, I guess. Like, You'll maybe. find out. Like, You'll find out. No, fuck you, dude. I do want to <laughs> say on one. They're Comic Sans. One that I know uh, is life sucks and then you die. That's not far yeah, off. Yeah, I, just... I should be so lucky. Oh, I, oh, I, that is, that's like the first one. I think I just read that. Okay, I yeah. Because I like flipped through it. I didn't start reading it, but I like. But it's very long. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I mean, like, whatever, but like. I just think, like, people don't like, like, the newer Lincoln Park works, but, like, I thought, like, they're all good. Chapter like, 12. I just wish they didn't sell out and, like, be in, like, the Transformer movies, you know? <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Uh, be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram. You can Do find it. everything on our website, twilightpod.com. Hell yeah. Um, if you have a question or just want to say hi, yeah. you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. I'll, I'll talk sperm with anyone who wants to. Yes. Human or otherwise. But someone who won't talk sperm with you because you'll be very confused is my friend Alex Chavez, who wrote our theme music. You can find him uh, and more of his music on his Facebook page, Vintage Attire Music. And as always, guys... Remember, you know, sometimes you got to wait a while, but you'll learn about the sperm. It'll come. (laughs) Don't suck, y'all. Don't suck. Bye. Bye. Are we gonna have a joke? I I'm too happy. I know. I'm just I'm happy. I feel like I've. Uh, I never thought I'd get an answer, I'm and glad I, I have could one. Provide that for you. And it does make me feel better if we ever interview Stephanie Meyer. I will definitely bring this up. Yeah. And I at least know that she's thought about it already, so mm-hmm. I won't freak her out that much. Good. It'll probably be the multiple follow-ups that she'll be uncomfortable with. <laughs> <laughs>